The Love Good Podcast is brought to you by our patrons. As they stand on the front lines of discovering the world's best new music, books, and art before anyone else, our patrons raise media to a higher standard and help young people and artists turn that standard into a way of life. Join the movement today that will give you hope for tomorrow. Become a patron now at lovegoodculture.com. Welcome, everyone, to the Love Good Podcast. This is your host, Jimmy Mitchell. Thank you so much for tuning in to Episode 13, Season 1. It's a real joy and privilege to have you tuning into the show today. We've got one of my favorite artists of all time coming in to chat about life and culture, what it means, and what it feels like to have songs recorded by Blake Shelton, Hunter Hayes, Tim McGraw, Reba McIntyre, but also to just be one of Nashville's most beloved artists of all time. I am, of course, talking about Dave Barnes, the one and only. It's just a really privileged conversation. We talk a lot about blue-collar Christianity, as he calls it, this kind of idea of Nashville's ecosystem of humility because of all the incredible raw talent, and really just this mystery of living who you are, that authentic self that really has to come to the forefront of each of our lives in order to have peace and happiness and real impact in the world. As always, beforehand, we sit down with Janae Trudell. We chat specifically about Singles Awareness Week, also known as Valentine's Week. I know so many of you guys out there, like me, maybe have plans, maybe don't have plans, but it is an important time of the year to really think about what love is all about. What does it mean to give it? to receive it, and to build a civilization of love. This episode, by the way, of the Love Good Podcast is brought to you by Lake Road Media. These are the fine folks who not only put together our brand new Love Good logo, they helped with a lot of the rebranding on our website, but they most especially are experts in lyric videos for artists. So again, Lake Road Media, check them out. If you want to see what one of those lyric videos looks like, go to kevinheider.com. Thanks again, everyone, for tuning in. We'll be back in just a few moments. You're listening to Of This I'm Sure, the title track from Ginny and Tyler's latest full-length album, available exclusively on iTunes and lovegoodculture.com. This is your host, Jimmy Mitchell. Welcome back to the Love Good Podcast, sitting down with Janaea Trudell. Hello, everyone. It's good to be back. So, Janaea, it is Valentine's Day or Valentine's Week, depending on when people are listening to this episode. You know, I think a lot of images come to mind right away, you know, um, <laughs> Cupid, and I really actually hate a lot of the Valentine's candy, like the hearts that are just pure sugar, mm. the little ones with the I love you yeah. or the hug me or the I don't even know insecure, like I need you kind of thing. <laughs> uh, and so, I mean, Valentine's Day has never mm. really been a big thing for me. I'm sure this is a coping mechanism because I'm, you know not dating anybody hmm. at the time when Valentine's rolls around, or maybe I just, I never really have cool plans, right? So I just have written it off, you know? But right. it is the right episode and the right time of the year to think about what we really mean by the word love. Yeah, the word love, what a word. So overused, especially in our language. I, that annoys me so much, maybe especially this time of year. Um, I forget what, I think it was multiple languages. Um I was looking up one day different ways to say it or different um, words or phrases that other cultures had for saying that. And there were things like one word that basically to us would translate to love, which is like, I love, you know, my children and I love Nutella. You know? <laughs> Do you guys say Nutella or Nutella? Well, we didn't actually have Nutella in this country till like maybe eight years ago, okay. nine years ago. Okay. But I think Nutella is how we'd say Nutella, it. Nutella, okay. Yeah. Nutella. Mm. Whatever. I just realized that one of the apprentices was making fun of me just a few minutes ago because we say decal instead of decal. You do not say decal. Yes, we do. You probably say aluminium too, don't you? No. Okay. No. But yeah, decal. You say decal? This is <laughs> yes, real? Yes, we do, yeah. Oh anyway, gosh. besides the point. <laughs> but uh, I remember in one language, it was basically, I don't know how they summed this up in one word, but it, the sentiment was... Um, 
basically telling someone, I wish that I was so close to you and shared so much of my life with you that we had shared the womb together, <laughs> which is the so womb? the womb. <laughs> like, I know, I know it's like when you think about it, literally weird, but, but like, I wish that I had, we had been so close that I could have spent the very beginning of my life up until now. I think most twins are grateful for having spent those nine months together. I don't know. Are they? I don't a, to talk yeah, to I don't even want to talk bio, biology right now. But <laughs> all that confuses me. <laughs> I think it's fascinating. Anyway, totally overused word, but uh, I don't think it's reason to uh, forget about it and not talk about it. It's so true. Here we are. I do think it is over applied in my own life on a near daily basis. Uh, there's a lot of things that I love, a lot of people that I love. I love things and I love people in all kinds of different ways. And, you know, one of the great revelations for us this fall here at Lovegood was the fact that our name is charged with meaning, okay? That, that in fact, whether it's media or art or even just encountering people and cultures and creation, that there is there's an effect uh, that what we love um, actually has on who we are, mm-hmm. right? And that over time, you become what you love. I mean, it's sort of the old joke about the the couple that's sitting down for the early bird special and they've been married for like 50 mm-hmm. years. And, you know, it's all, they do kind of talk alike and they look they alike look and alike, they start to yeah. smell alike. And <laughs> you become what you love. Yeah. And this is sort of true, certainly, in my own life. The, the best example of this that I see consistently is my dad, right? There's like a liturgy and a ritual and a routine around tailgating for him. Like he loves <laughs> prepping for a football game in the fall. Mm-hmm. And all of that trains his heart to love football and to love it more year after year. And obviously that can be a really good thing. And I'm not saying that he necessarily becomes football, but at times it looks like he becomes one with it. You know, hmm. like there's just like it really deeply affects him, you hmm. know, and uh, that's really cool. And I wish I was in, as invested as he is. It would allow for a lot more father-son bonding <laughs> at the end of an Auburn game when they've lost or something, mm. you know. Um, but but there are other things in my life that I love so much that I, I certainly start to become without even realizing it, mm-hmm. you know. And... Uh, yeah, I'm just wondering if that's been a long time thought for you too, because um, it's it's fairly recent for me to realize that I can actually choose what to love, knowing that that will help me become that very thing mm-hmm. or that very ideal with time as well. Yeah, it's such an interesting concept. I don't think I've thought about it in that way in particular, probably until just recently too. But I, I mean, especially being here and uh, the words bouncing around the walls of this place every day, love good. What does that mean to love um, and, uh, and to become what we love? Uh, I think in my own life, my loves were like very simple growing up, I guess. I was never super attached to things like my, like the farm and the outdoors, um, music even was a big thing for me. Um, good food. I'm my sister, Julissa, if you're, if you're listening to this, she would laugh at that because she's the total foodie in the family and the connoisseur, but, um, she knows that I don't quite love it as much as she does, but stuff like that. Um, and also things that started to pull on my attention in my teen years that were not as pure and like helpful as something uh, like home, like having this deep nostalgic ache and longing for my home and my country and my farm, my family, stuff like that. And then kind of getting wrapped up, falling in love with things that in a way made me less myself. And I'm talking about, you know, in my teen years, maybe uh, even intangible things like approval, um, the blessing of others, um, that didn't necessarily want best for me or, or simple things like Facebook, you know, like Mm. that came into my life when I was like 14 and, um, yeah, becoming, you know, if, if I love, um, what is hopeful that like is eventually like starts, I start manifesting that in the way that I live my life. And that's both been like really, um, exciting as I've grown up and realized that, oh, you know, when I am like generous, my giving begets giving in others and in my life. And when I am forgiving, that begets forgiveness. Um, 
and and so too is is with the opposite so it's been an exciting thing to realize and also like kind of haunting and a little because it's all of a sudden I have a responsibility and I have power in my hands to to choose what I what I like tie my heart to basically and it has repercussions and can have like really gloriously good good effects I guess so yeah yeah I feel like I'm kind of processing it on the go but it's such an interesting thought so worth worth thinking about I really like that phrase that you just used what you tie your heart to that's so much a part of, um, especially that love of affection, you know, that, that love of attraction um, that is sort of preliminary, you know, in romantic love, but all kinds of loves. You know, you, you don't really hang out with people that you would call friends very often unless you enjoy being with them. There's just a, an affection, right? There's a, there's a tying of your heart to theirs and a, a desire for their good. And ultimately, that might be the, the definition we want to run with here is that to love someone is to will their good even above your own. I love that you brought up Jalissa and her love for culinary arts and the way that food brings people together and that when there's an attentiveness to, to detail that, uh, in fact, a, a meal can be you know, a quasi-liturgical moment, meaning mm-hmm. it brings people together towards a, a common end. And uh, obviously in family life, that's really important. And in community life, that's really important. And in culture at large. But you know, if it's true that you are what you eat, right? We've all heard <laughs> that. Um, I think it's, it's doubly true that you become what you love. And there's a certain effect that even media, for example, has on the soul, you know, that that art has, that music, that books have on the soul, that, that in fact, they're either predisposing you to virtue or to vice. They're either helping train your heart to love what is good or they're doing the opposite. Mm. And I think that's really important because, in fact, what we choose and will the good of um, is slowly and over time the very thing that we that we become, you know, if, if that's a sacrificial love for the other, um, th- then so be it. You know, we, we become a person of, of heroic sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we sort of can't imagine not doing anything for sake of the other. Um, but I do settle for a lot of lesser loves, and I often allow things to predispose me towards vice that actually make it really hard to, to see the highest good, to choose it, and then ultimately to love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, even just as you're talking, it's kind of like, um, uh, I don't know, I think of like on a camping trip or something, um, or even uh, when you're too busy to eat real food, like big, good, hearty meals, your stomach literally like shrinks and doesn't know how to handle the goodness when it's time, like when mm-hmm. it comes. Um, and it hurts, actually, like when you actually eat, <laughs> again, well, and uh that can be what it is when we, when we keep settling. And, um, at first that'll sting a little bit and we feel the deficiency and eventually we get used to it. Um, and, and, and yeah, shooting for something higher and, um, a goal that is, that is greater as far as where you're directing your love. It, it's painful in a way, like it stretches you. It, It means, you know, it's, it's a leap of faith really. Um, because you're vulnerable in that moment. You're not just settling for what is safe, what you know will satisfy you, even just for a time. There's a risk involved. Um, and that comes with loving a person. Like, I just can't imagine, imagine what it feels like for a guy to, to get down on one knee, <laughs> you know, and ask someone to spend the rest of his life. Like, that is uh, part of the masculine heart that I so admire and respect and just, like, will never have to like not endure like it's a bad thing it's so beautiful to me but um it really is this massive sac like you said sacrificial gift of self really in this massive risk and i just like yeah what else is there if we're not living that way like what there's just no time for anything else Mm. um to to live abandoned like that so yeah and and it's it's painful in those moments those moments of the in-between are they like stretch our hearts Um, and like, if we get focused on that, on the pain of that, breaking open a new space in us, then we'll never do it again (laughs) because it's scary. Um, but it, what it does is it's like a, 
what do you call it? I don't even know if there's a tool for that. But basically, like, it, it pries open new space in us to receive, um, like, the greater and greater and greater goods um, that are, like, yeah, us settling for, for littler things, it's not based out of a totally opposite, like, bad or disordered, like, desire. It's it's just not the greatest. Mm. <laughs> it's just, like, a lesser good. Um yeah, so I don't know, it just takes a lot of courage to keep keep going and and not being afraid to to fall and and not being afraid to fall in love. Yeah. That's right. And not settling along the way. Mm-hmm. So that when the time comes and you've been pried open enough, you've got actually the capacity and the space necessary to receive that great gift. Mm-hmm of love. I have a really good friend from college who used to say, you know, the Lord doesn't show you gold and then make you settle for silver. And uh, for all those out there who don't have dates tonight, like I don't have a Mm -hmm. date tonight, or you're not dating somebody and you're just kind of feeling a little bit blue about that, um, just be still and wait and allow that uh, capacity for love to grow and 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 to really even allow the the suffering um even at times the the loneliness to become an occasion for intimacy or mm-hmm. an opportunity um for for desire to expand mm-hmm. and and for life to to actually eventually become something quite beautiful and for love to be beyond your your wildest imagination. So before I get a little too like Delilah or Dr. <laughs> Phil uh, on the air here, we should go ahead and sign off and move into the next segment. But Jenea, as always, thanks. Mm-hmm. It's really great to talk about love, especially this time of the year. And mm-hmm. we hope all of you and your loved ones are going to have a killer Valentine's Day. Thank you so much, Jimmy. And yeah, everyone have a great week. We're back with the Love Good Podcast. This is your host, Jimmy Mitchell. You're listening to Big Old Love from Dave Barnes off of his brand new album. We actually have Dave in the studio now. How you doing, Dave? Good, good. How y'all? Really good, man. It's so awesome. It's really a privilege for me personally. I know for a lot of our listeners, uh, this is a real joyful moment. I've actually had people requesting from all over the country, can you please get in Dave Barnes? I said, well, I'll see what I can do. We've got some mutual friends, and sure enough... And here we are. Here we are. So for all those who perhaps have been following you since your first EP in 2002, you don't really need an introduction. There might be a a small handful who have never (laughs) heard of you. Tell us a little bit where you come from, how you landed in Nashville, what you've been doing the last, like, 15 years of your life. Yeah, um... Yeah, so so I grew up. My dad uh, is a pastor. He's a he's a. Uh, I have to say that really clearly because some people hear that wrong. They're like, "Hey, man, he's doing his best." <laughs> no pastor. Um, and so we moved a couple times. I grew up in Mississippi mainly, though, and uh, was exposed to a lot of music. Um, that's where a lot of you know, which was really mostly in, my, in the house, but just stuff that we listened to that was kind of there. And then. Um, and then moved to Knoxville when I was in high school, and uh, where that's where I was in a band playing drums for a couple of years in high school, doing like the rock and roll band thing, which was fun. Went to MTSU and really started to play guitar, and that's when the songwriting started because I loved drums, but it wasn't doing it. You know, I was kind of like I was the guy on like halfway through the gig that was like mouthing at the bass player, like, "Hey, dude, what time are we eating dinner?" <laughs> you know, I was that guy, and so. Um, so it was kind of cool because I think God really sort of like, uh, I knew I liked music. I just couldn't figure out what I was doing in it. You know what I mean? Like I loved it. Drums wasn't it. Songwriting then became this like, it was just, I was like, oh, here we go. This is it, you know? And then singing was a little later. 
Um, so that's kind of, I started that, graduated from there, moved to Nashville in 2001, um, and spent a year kind of doing odd jobs. I was an extra on a movie for two months and then, um, worked, worked for a guy named Ed Cash for about six months doing odd jobs from singing BGVs on records to kind of helping in the studio to like babysitting his kids. (laughs) And then through that, Ed, who's still like a big brother, he's my closest friends, he, um, he, uh, we did a f- EP as kind of my send off at the end of the year, um, mm. around Christmas. We recorded it. It's five songs, me and the guitar, and uh, and then I left. And then starting two thousand two, I've been doing music ever since. It's amazing. Time. Did yeah. you start touring right away? Were you on the yeah. road quite a bit in those first few? You years? know, it was funny. It was a catapult. I mean, it literally was like a rocket launch into a into a career because, uh, in God's just hysterical way of doing things, I was working for Ed. This band called the Pool Boys, who was a uh, independent Christian band, CCM band, um, came in to record. Uh, I was working literally just kind of like errand boy around the studio, whatever they needed. Got to know the guys really well in the band, and uh, and at the same time, Matt Wirtz had moved to town. Called me and said, "I'd like to get together. I kind of know who you are." So we went and ate at Satco on West End, and he, this is in October, and he was like, "Man, I you know I've got all these shows booked." Um, coming up the new year like he had a few more stuff going on the rest of the year with young life and he had he had he was so busy man i mean he was playing so much and so he said look beginning of next year um would you want to do some shows like a couple of weeks of shows and so the pool boys then asked both of us to open for them for a week of their cd release tour which i'd helped them in the studio with ed mm-hmm. so Words and I went out and opened for them for a week, and then we did two weeks, and then literally it was like every show I did opening for Matt, basically they asked me to come back on my own, and that's really how my career started. Um, and then Matt and I would play a lot together back in the day. Um, and so it was just this, I mean, it was like trial by fire. Mm-hmm. It was so, because I'd never really done that. I'd done some in college, like doing shows and stuff, but right. that was really the the jumping off point. One of the things I love about seeing you live in this town or Matt Wirtz, the Holcombs, there's always going to be a special guest, some surprise mm. appearance at the end. Mark Broussard, the list goes on. So I'm just curious for you as an artist, as a singer-songwriter moving to Nashville, um, really spending quite a bit of your young adulthood, you know, exploring, I'm sure, all the different options, kind of learning the inner workings of production with Ed Cash and also child rearing, sounds like. Yeah. Uh, what was it like for you to come into this community, to realize that you were not the only one with mm. this this creative gift? I mean, it's yeah. almost this delicate, uh, beautiful thing mm. that requires a lot of cultivation uh, and support, uh, lest you kind of give up along the way or get discouraged. Mm. And it sounds like you've had just a real cadre yeah. of other artists around yeah. you from the beginning. What a great word. I tried to use that the other day, and somebody was like, I think you just cursed. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, for me, a, a couple things. So when I moved to town, um, I really didn't know a lot of people. MTSU, oddly enough, in that time, there wasn't a huge like music scene. It was, there was a lot of engineers and songwriters that I knew, but I didn't know like a lot of players or artists especially. Uh, so when I moved to Nashville, it was it was like, um, you know, it took me probably a few months before I really even met those people. Met Wirtz later in 2001, but uh, right by the time I met Matt, I'll never forget this night, we were at Starbucks over on um, on Harding and kind of beginning of Belmead over there, and I was just standing in line, and I started talking to this guy behind me who, you know, looked really cool and intimidated me, and... Uh, and we started talking about music, and he was with these two other guys, these twins who were both, you know, really handsome. And again, it was just, I was like, is this like a prank? Like, is somebody going to come out and be like, hey, you're not as handsome as these people. Um, how do you feel, Shane? Some weird guilt. Um, so so we ended up striking this conversation, and Wurtz is with me too. And so we literally went out into the parking lot and talked for like an hour and a half with these guys. And so the, the, the guys were Jess and um, Chad Cates, who... Um, both are songwriters. Jess has um, had massive songs, Black, Backstreet Boys and, and uh, David Archuleta. His ber- first hit was a Jess Cates thing, had CCM success. Chad has had a bunch of songs with Ben Rector and um, CCM hits. And so I was like, that was cool. The Jackson Brothers were in a band um, called, um, oh my gosh, I'm blanking, the... Um, Oh, the Daylights. And so the Daylights open for One Republic. I mean, two of the most talented people I know. And these four people, I was like, 
So, so where is it? Like, who are you people? What, mm-hmm. what is this? And they literally just like through knowing them, we went back to their house that night and hung, or a couple of weeks later, I think, and hung at their house and everybody pulled out guitars started playing. And I was like, what is this? Like, I've finally found the nucleus of people, you know, where it's like, oh, they're out there, you know? And so, but at the same time, like the Jacksons, I remember they played a song. And I mean, those it's twins who are both intimidatingly handsome, and they both sound like Jeff Buckley, <laughs> like legitimately sound like Jeff Buckley. And I remember thinking I've made a terrible decision with my life because I can't, they're double power of this. I'm like barely a single barrel, and they're like a double barrel shotgun. So um, so once I found that, and I think it, but the thing, you know, this is what was really interesting about me and Matt is, um, there wasn't really a scene here. I mean, there, there were a lot of scenes, but not what we were doing and not, and I don't say that like we're Prince. I mean, the, literally there just wasn't this kind of like Christian dudes that were doing mainstream music. And so, um, over time it just sort of developed. I think he and I both really enjoyed meeting people. One of my favorite things to do is just pulling people together. It's like, I get so much joy and cumulative hangs. I just like a lot of people. I like a lot of connecting. And so, I just think I, I turned around about five years after being here, and all of a sudden we had all these friends that did it, and we knew each other, and we played with each other. And Drew moved to town. I met Steve Mokler, Andrew Ripp, Ben Rector, Andy mm. Davis, Wirt. So there was just all these people that started to pop up in Nashville that were doing a lot of what we were doing, and all of a sudden there was kind of this little scene. And I think Matt and I were were sort of on the older edge of it. You know, we were kind of a couple of the first dudes coming because there just wasn't that much of that happening then, like. I remember it was a huge deal when you'd hear about Lifehouse or these bands that had believers in it right. uh, that were doing mainstream music. It was just like people couldn't believe P.O.D. These guys are risk takers, you know. <laughs> so I think for us, there, but there wasn't a lot of that in the singer-songwriter world. And so I think with guys like Mayer and Jason Mraz coming up, it sort of was like people wanted more of that. And um, and especially in Christendom, they wanted some of that. And so we, we got to do this really cool thing where we could go to bars and clubs and play, and then we go to a Young Life event and play for a church play. And none of it stayed consistent. You know, we did both. So it was a real blessing. And it was even more fun having friends kind of come join us in that, you know. It's really amazing. We had Chris Allen on the podcast maybe a couple months ago now. He talked about riding the line. Mm. You know, I think there's this real powerful gift that you have, you know, as, as a Christian, you're constantly in contact with, uh, first and foremost, God, mm. right? Hopefully in prayer. Uh, but then these really eternal truths, mm. these transcendent truths about what it means to be human. And so if we, as, as, as Christian people, can't reach out into an increasingly secular culture and engage it, then we're, we're missing something, mm. you know? And I have to say, you know, you and Matt on down the list, y'all are front runners. Mm. You were. I mean, now you're basically Almost uh, a, a community. No, oh, you, sorry, elderly. What were Jurassic? <laughs> what are the words you? <laughs> I mean, it's amazing to think of all the artists who have been able to follow in your footsteps. So what what has kept you living in that balance and, and riding that line, keeping that tension after all these years when it would have been perhaps a lot easier to have gone a CCM route or even a lot easier to have gone a mainstream route, mm. but to have compromised something along the way. You know, I think, I, I think for me at least, um, it was in a weird way, just, just looking forward. It wasn't that thing of, it was, it was just these wonderful blinders. I don't even know that I had on, you know what I mean? Of, of just going, you know, Lord, these feel like songs you're giving me and you keep providing shows and, and the ability to do it. And so I just never thought about, it. you know, I mean, there would be moments where I'd see a friend that was doing CCM stuff and like really crushing it or would put a great album out. And I would think, God, could I do that? But then I couldn't do it. So it was as much I should I maybe <laughs> combine those things. It was it was blinders and the inability to fully immerse in either world. Yeah. And somehow I kept coming up with these songs that sort of floated or, or walked that line, as you said. So for me, it was it was this wonderful I could only do what I could do, and it somehow lived in the middle. You know, like it sort of navigated that middle, middle space there that um, that kept me from really easily being pegged either way. Mm. And, and and for what it's worth, I will say this: I mean, my management team um, and I did a really good job of being careful of that. I mean, th- there would be seasons where a CCM something would come up or opportunity, and we had to be really careful not against it, but I think staying true to who I was and going, you know, I don't, I just don't want to alienate people by going. 
hey, now I'm doing this CCM thing, or I'm, I have nothing to do with the Christian world. I'm just doing this mainstream thing. Because I think either one of them would have sniffed me out pretty quick if I'd have been like, I don't know what they're talking about. You know, like Peter denying the Lord. <laughs> like, didn't you used to play? I, th- I thought I saw you at First Baptist, you know, wherever, Jacksonville. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, and like, um, and so, and I think the other way too, if I'd been in the CCM world and I'm playing a love song and they're like, hey, dude, this kind of sounds like it's not about the Lord, you know. Um, so I think it was all those things, you know, sort of gelled into this weird middle thing. Unknowingly, you possibly carved out a, a micro industry. I, I wouldn't even call it, you know, an alternative or like a subculture. Like you guys have a pretty massive following and it's rep- it's representative of uh, more than just you and Matt Wirtz and mm-hmm. what you began doing 10, 12 years ago. But now this entire army of artists who's been following suit. So I think the key word here is authenticity. Yeah, it's so cool to hear that there was some level of intention, mm-hmm, certainly, mm-hmm. but there wasn't strategy necessarily. No, no, you no, know, no. there was just authenticity. Well, you know, something that I sort of inherited that I've I've really been thankful for in my parents is my parents both exuded and exemplified this really functional faith. You know, like to me, I never they just did such a good job of that of just kind of going like you are a Christian who is living in the world, the end. It wasn't like this, no, you need to protect yourself. And it also wasn't like you need to get out there and and evangelize the world. It was this, a lot of what we talked about, you know, just a minute ago is if you just by living who you are is a light, like it, it will do its job if you are just unique to who God made you to be. And I think that, that alleviated all the stress for me because I never felt like I had this mission. And I just felt like, you know, if I'm just myself, I think it's going to go okay. Um, so so to your point, there was never a plan because I kind of felt like, I don't know that I need a plan here. I think I just go do this and it, and it figures itself out, uh, which in retrospect, I'm just super thankful. But I think a lot of that was this was a parental sort of, it was, a, it was handed down in, in, in this just really sort of blue-collar, um, Christianity that was really great because it didn't make it too intimidating and it also didn't undermine it. It just went, you can do this. Like you can be who the Lord wants you to be in a world and you don't need to hide from it, but you also don't need to go try to, you know, kick down every door in the name of Jesus. Like be who you are and it'll, it'll do its work, you know. I love it. I love it. And I think that requires an incredible amount of prayer, mm-hmm. certainly humility, uh, but really, ultimately, obedience. I mean, that's really what strikes me, Dave, is you've just been obedient. You know, there has not been a lot of questioning, uh, perhaps, along the way, but just a desire to, to be who you, only you can be mm. and to trust somewhere deep down that that is actually going to change the world. Speaking of changing the world, you know, as an artist, it's so cool that you, you know, you play Young Life events. Yeah. And you have been for a long time. But you've also got singles with, you know, Blake Shelton mm. and Tim McGraw and, mm. and Hunter Hayes. Uh, how do you, in fact, stay humble in the midst of huge honors and, and huge opportunities like that? <laughs> it's not hard. <laughs> it's not hard. I think the last couple of years have been some of the most humbling years of my life. And, and not because I ever thought I was anything. I need to make that really clear. It's I did not sort of enter my late 30s thinking, like, check me out. you know. But I think you know, I've been writing a lot more for and with other people in, in these last few years. And it is it's in, it's intimidating and inspiring the amount of talent in this town and you just i don't know how anybody could be cocky and live in nashville you, it's just too much talent and so for me it's just living here has its own ecosystem of humility it's like you can't escape like you can go to a round and crush it and literally the next dude is going to play a song next girl's going to sing and you're going to go this may be it for me. It's been a good run. <laughs> you know, so you just have to, I think for me, it's like, it's it's just built in rails. I don't even have a choice. I, you know, it's not like I have to go, Lord, um, I just crushed all these songs. Would you keep me home? The Lord's like, you down there, Dave? I'm like, yeah, man, I'm, I'm down there. Give me a minute. You know, <laughs> just give me a minute. Uh, which I love, man. I think it's one of my favorite things about Nashville, you know. Well, here we are with Jessamine Anderson. In case you can't tell, that's her in the background. How you doing, Jessamine? I'm doing well. How are you, Jimmy? Really good. I mean, this is now officially my favorite segment because it's the only one that opens up with sheer elation and joy. I do laugh a lot. I love yeah. to laugh. 
It's really, really good. Well, what do you got for us this week? Well, I wanted to share, I think on the, maybe it was even the very first podcast episode in this segment, we talked about how to curate the media in your own life and kind of like figure out what you're intaking and how to make it more intentional. And we have a super easy way and a super exciting way to do that because our new sampler is out this week. And so I wanted to, first of all, share that with our podcast listeners. You can go to lovegoodculture.com slash free to download the sampler. And that's just a really easy, simple way to not only curate the media in your own life with a few tracks that are going to set you off on the right path to great music, but also it's something you can share really easily with your friends, which is something that we're going to tell you a little bit more about next week on the podcast. It's really cool because I think all the way from our newest listeners down to our oldest patrons, there's such a joy in discovering new music. And I think this is such an easy way to get a sense of what we're putting out next. We always have a little sneak peek of the next shipment on our sampler. And uh, this one is actually one of my favorites yet. And uh, it's a really, really cool way to kind of continue learning how to curate, be exposed to some of the best new music out there, and also get a taste of what's to come, especially for all of our patrons. So, yeah, it's very exciting. We're so excited to share it with you all. Really cool, really simple. Lovegoodculture.com slash free. Everybody go check out the brand new Love Good Spring sampler. You've heard it before. Anybody else? Jessman, as always, thanks. Have a great week, Jimmy. Tell me a little bit about what you're working on right now. You've got this sort of progressive approach to the last couple of EPs, a full yeah. length coming out uh-huh. as we speak. Uh-huh. Tell us about all that. Well, you know, it's crazy. Like, I think this is my 12th album, which is at some point, I, I always joke, I think the government sends you a letter at like 10. They're like, that's enough, Dave. You know, you can retire off into the, ride the horse into the distance and never turn around. But, um, but yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I'm so thankful that I get to still make music and that people you know, still around to hear it and, and care. Um, this new album was fun because uh, we kind of wanted to, I mean, it's it's tricky the age that I am now because I feel like a lot of people have listened to me are in a similar season of life where they're just busier, they've got jobs, they're, they've got kids. And, and um, so it's just kind of tough to sort of figure out where everybody is, how to get to them, where like my 20s, it just felt like every time you made a song, I was like, hey, what's up? You're like, God, you're here fast. You know, like, <laughs> you got some new music. You're like, God, you know, where now I'm like, <laughs> Is anybody out there? <laughs> and and it's not. I've had to learn. It's not. I think. Hopefully, it's not because like I've lost any footing or any skill or talent or it's bad as much. And it may be, but I think it's just everybody's so busy and and the competition for our attention is so much higher with with every with the amount of media that's uh, accessible to us and social media and all that. So I think you know we were like, what what would it look like to sort of change it up? And so when when Mayor did this three these two EPs in his full length, um, I was like, man, that feels really right. And and then he explained it, and I thought this was really eloquent. He just said, you know, with the amount of time I have a day, you know, I'll, I'll pull up my iTunes or Spotify on on new release Friday, and there'll be an album I really want to listen to, but it has twelve songs, and I'm like, oh, man, like, all right, well I'll just check the three out until I get to where I'm going and get out of the car. And he said, you know, the rest of the album just doesn't get his listened to. And he said, so I thought, how can I, if I've only got 15 or 20 minutes, I bet everybody does. So why not sort of cater to that? So we, we took the same approach. Um, and it's been really fun because I think people have really gotten to live with the songs a little longer. So these songs will be wrapped into the, or I guess by now when this comes out, they will have been wrapped into the full length, but with four new songs and then it finishes the the cycle. But uh, it's been really fun, you know. I think I think the goal as an artist is still to just get people to live with stuff. You know, I want people to experience the songs, and uh, and I think that's the new paradigm is sort of like singles and and small batch albums where it's like three, four, or five songs, just because it's tougher. You know, it's just harder. Um, so so it's gone well. It's been fun. It's been kind of fun to see people like, hey, I actually listen to that like three times in a row, and you're like, all right, success. Yeah. Like I can sing the choruses, and I'm like, there we go. You know? Yeah, I'll tell you, it is interesting. You do have to cater, as you, as you put it, to a shorter attention span. I feel like I'm as guilty as anybody of that. How do you curate your own music, books, movies, the media that you intake? Because I'm sure you're fairly intentional with it, right? You're not just hopping onto the next Pandora playlist and hit and go. Right. Uh, maybe like me, there's a bit of a process involved, and it can get a little bit overwhelming, but a lot of our listeners are constantly asking themselves, how do I curate media uh, that will ultimately be really life-giving uh, and that will, in a sense, 
capture what it really means to be human mm. and maybe even bring about that culture within my home, within mm. my workplace, you know, uh, wherever it is that you take music. Uh, but how do you do that personally? You know, this is crazy. One of my one of my favorite things has been that Spotify Discovery Weekly playlist. Um, as much as they've sort of been the harbinger of death in some ways to, to the music world, they also are doing some really cool things on that side where they're, you know, these sort of algorithms that if... Um, you know, they can listen, they just mathematically, they can go, okay, this is the kind of music he clicks on. We've got other kinds of music like that. And that was a huge inspiration for my album. I mean, I really started writing after I really got into Spotify because it was like all of a sudden hmm. there was all this music I'd never heard or it'd be an, a song from an artist I didn't know they had out or something. And so I've always been a music begets more music kind of guy. I'm not a life begets music. Um, I just, whenever I listen to music, I tend to create music. And so... I need new music coming in a lot, and all of a sudden I found that, and it was like I had hit the the mother load because mm. um, because again they they know what you listen to, and they go, hey, it looks like you kind of like um, John Mayer. Well, then did you know this guy or girl, and you like um, Wolfpack? Do you know that these bands? And it'd be like, I don't know those bands, or I do know that, and I loved it, and I forgot about it, or whatever. Right. So all of a sudden there was just all this music coming in. So. That was a huge thing, um, you know, sort of, sort of getting hip to that, and uh, and then I, you know, I think the rest is is uh, kind of like you said, having, you know, I have friends that read a lot, I, and there's a there's a couple of um, Twitter, um, you know, accounts I follow that'll post really great reviews on things, or, mm -hmm. or I trust certain people that dig certain music, and they'll. They'll do. It. I spend a lot of time with podcasts these days. Like I, that's kind of primarily what I do when I go on my runs. Now it's just put on a podcast and listen, which I've loved. And sermons, a lot of sermons that way, a lot of Tim Keller sermons that way. But um, so it's interesting because it's like as much as it's bad, there's this wonderful other side to this, the availability of all this media. You know that you can, and I think that's a big part of my music was realizing like. It's, I don't know that it's so much people have limited time, which they do, but they all, there's just so much stuff coming at you. So you're having to go, I mean, back in the day, and this is where I sound like, well, when I was young, but like back in the day, you know, a good release day musically would be three or four records you were excited to hear. One record, you, and now it's like, I feel like every Friday there's 25 albums that you're like, oh man, how am I going to get to this, you know? Mm. Uh, so it's it's you know it is tricky, but I think the good side of that is there is so much great stuff, and you have access to again like sermons or great podcasts like this that you can spend time with and and get to know. So it's great on the other side too because all that information coming in and the way I work really can produce more you know creativity from me. You know. So if you had maybe three media recommendations, yeah. the first three that come to mind, whether that's a, a, an album, a podcast, a movie, a book, yeah. whatever it might be. Uh, what would you throw out? The things that have inspired you the most lately, perhaps really fueled creativity or just sort of in, been a source of uh, blessing, mm -hmm. edified you along the way. Yeah. I um, th So there's a band I love called Wolfpack. I don't know if you know those guys. Um, really, 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 really talented dudes. Um, and they have consistently been putting out music and albums. Plus Jack Stratton, the guy who's kind of the main dude behind it is just kind of a genius with sort of social media and branding. And so he's fun to follow because he's sort of the, the their creative machine. And it's just fun. It's refreshing. They don't take themselves very seriously, but the music is insanely serious and amazing. Or amazingly, you know, not serious because they're fun, but it's just really good. The quality is, 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 is intense. And so... I've loved them. They've been a. They keep inspiring me and sort of pulling stuff out of my brain musically. It's always fun. Um, I really have enjoyed following the Gospel Coalition um, on Twitter. Um, that they they do a really good job, in my opinion, of sort of curating really relevant articles. And, and with everything, you have to use your you know discernment with anything. But um, they they you know they'll review movies or put up albums or. Um, they just do a good job of pushing back against culture, and, and and not in ways that are detrimental, but I think they're just good at kind of going like, hey, are we thinking about, how do we think about this? Like, how do we think about this in the church? How do we think about this m movie, or the Me Too? How do we think about that? What's a sort of a biblical way to approach that? I really like what they do. I've found their stuff is really consistently thoughtful, and, and, uh, and like, you know, really convicting, not just sort of like, here's how to escape, but here's how to engage. Um, so I've really enjoyed that. And and again, I really think Spotify as much as 
that's become a huge huge place for me to sort of find music and sort of get hip to stuff that I didn't really know about. And for me, it's been like instrumental, pun intended. Um, and just, and just staying inspired, you know, sort of having a way, cause for me back in the day, that was going to tower records. That was going to blockbuster music. That was going somewhere and spending three hours of the day that I'd carved out to sit on those listening stations and find new music. And, uh, but it was easier because you, they had it laid out for you where Spotify can feel kind of like, I mean, are you kidding me? I've got the world at my fingertips, but I think some of these little playlists and again, the discovery weekly or the new music, you know, stuff that they have that's curated to your tastes are just so helpful, um, which has been good. I literally have not heard tower records. Oh, I know. Somebody's like, what's that? Yeah. Yeah. Across the street from, uh, the the dorm I used to live in. There you go. There you go. By the yeah. way, you guys being Middle Tennessee Blue Raiders, you, you always give us a run for our money in football. That's what. What's that's the one thing we can always oh, expect. Man. We're, we're going to make y'all nervous if nothing else. So good. Well, Davis, we're closing out this episode. How can we stay in touch with you? How can people be following you on social media, YouTube, and then how can they be supporting this album? Who knew it would be so hard to be me? Yeah, so it's all out there, just ready to be taken home and loved and watered and fed. Um, so. Uh, the album, yeah, it's up, you know, it's on iTunes, it's on Spotify, it's all there. Um, and then uh, Instagram, all all of the social media is Dave Barnes Music. Um, so it's, you know, and, and be forewarned that the Instagram, it gets weird. It gets really <laughs> weird. <laughs> and you may think you're following a music guy, and then you're like, why does he do so many ridiculous <laughs> things? So come join us, but just, you know... Strap in, <laughs> strap the seatbelt in. It's awesome, Dave. Well, it's been an absolute privilege for me and for all of our listeners. Thanks so much. We'll do this again yeah. sometime. Thank you. listening to Remember That I Love You from the brand new album by Dave Barnes. Everybody, welcome back to the Love Good Podcast. This is your host, Jimmy Mitchell. We just had the most incredible privilege getting to sit down with Dave Barnes himself to talk about that brand new album, to hear about life and really all the beautiful things happening in his career right now. So definitely go check out the album, support it on iTunes, Spotify, and everywhere digital music is sold. And know that all of our highest level Love Good patrons are actually going to get a vinyl edition of this record at the very beginning of March. So if you're not yet a patron, check out lovegoodculture.com and know that if you sign up at the founder level or if you're currently a patron and you upgrade within the next week, you're going to get the brand new vinyl record from Dave Barnes. At this point, we've got a beautiful question coming in from one of our listeners. Hey, Love Good team. My name is Caitlin Thornbert, and I am from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. So I was really just hoping to hear you speak on vulnerability and just the bravery that comes in our pursuit to bring out beauty in all that we do, really. Um, I know myself personally, I have really tried to be so intentional and just so authentic with what I put out on social media, and with that comes vulnerability which is hard vulnerability is hard it is something that I'm constantly trying to set my heart at ease with if that makes sense or just find a comfort in that and in that openness ah yes another one of our Canadian listeners Caitlin it is so good to hear from you and to really think about this question of vulnerability just to give you a little sneak peek in a few weeks Janae and I are going to have an entire conversation about vulnerability and what it, what it really means to allow people to, to see beyond the veil of our lives, to let people in to our hearts. And that's a really difficult thing. As you put it, it demands courage. 
And actually, it's also one of those things that demands a considerable amount of prudence, right? We don't want to necessarily lay bare our soul to every person that we meet, whether that's the person on a plane next to us, the person on a city bus, or the person that we just happen uh, to run into every day at work, right? There is something precious and, and really sacred about who we are and the depths of our being. And so that vulnerability is also not something that we just give uh, to anyone and at any time. And I think that's what's really interesting about social media is uh, it's out there for just about anybody to consume. And so I'm really quite convinced that we should have these different layers or different levels of vulnerability and intimacy in our lives. Because if we don't, then we, we just give too much of ourselves to the masses. And I really believe that there's an incredible amount of wisdom and uh, only allowing perhaps a select few, you know, family and our closest friends. For those listeners who are married, obviously the people, um, you know, that you spend day in and day out with, your your wife, your husband, your kids, um, those are the kind of people who, who deserve to know the depths of us. Um, but that really should be somewhat preserved, you know, from the rest of the world so that we don't just, you know, throw our pearl um, before the masses who maybe in the end just don't care. And so I think there's a wisdom to that and, uh, and yet a real need for vulnerability. We need it. Otherwise, we uh, don't have that, that real freedom of transparency, that real freedom of being known and being loved. So, Caitlin, thanks for the nice reminder that vulnerability is so much a part of what it means to be human. As always, everybody, this is your chance at any point to send us a question. You can do this by way of a simple voice memo that you record into your phone or an audio recording into your computer. All you got to do is email that to us at content at lovegoodculture.com. Everybody, thanks again for listening. This has been a really, really special episode. Myself and the Love Good team, we're only a few weeks away from a wild European adventure. We're going to be all over Spain, England. I'll also be in the Netherlands, this beautiful little country between Spain and France called Andorra. And I cannot wait to share stories from those trips coming up. Check out lovegoodculture.com to see when we're coming to a town near you. Know that we love you guys. We're praying for you, and we will see you next week. Thank you for tuning in to the Love Good Podcast. Tell your friends all about us. Stay in touch on social media. And be sure to stop by iTunes or Stitcher to give us a review. Massive thanks to all of our patrons who make this podcast possible. As they stand on the front lines of discovering the world's best new music, books, and art before anyone else, our patrons raise media to a higher standard and help young people and artists turn that standard into a way of life. Join the movement today that will give you hope for tomorrow. Become a patron now at lovegoodculture.com.